Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 156. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today is another fascinating discussion, in my opinion. I am going to be talking today with Dr. Natalie Feinblatt. You may remember recently that I interviewed Natalie about her work helping people who were former cult members. And in our first interview together, which was in episode 135 back in May of 2018, Natalie talked about what cults are, what are some characteristics of cults, what are some well-known cults or groups that some consider to be cults. In this episode, she's going to talk in more depth about working with people who are former cult members. I thought this was a really interesting topic. And I'm grateful to Natalie for being my guest today. So let's just sit back and listen in on our conversation. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm so happy to be bringing you my second interview with someone who has a lot to say about a very interesting subject, Dr. Natalie Feinblatt. Natalie, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. I think this is my first ever part two. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. Therapy Chat was the first. You all heard it here. (laughs) I'm so happy that you agreed to do a second interview. As soon as we started, you know, we really dug in last time. I knew that I wanted to go deeper than we had enough time to have to do at the time. And So kind of a part two made sense. I'm really glad that we could make it work with our schedules. Me too. Yeah. So um, for anyone who didn't catch the first interview, we will have a link to that in the show notes and you can go back and listen to that one first if you like, or I think that it'll be okay to listen to them out of order too. But for anybody who's not familiar with you, Natalie, could you just start off giving them a little bit more information about yourself and the work you do? 
Sure. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California, and I have a private practice. And one of the, you know, my kind of big specialties or my main specialties are addiction and trauma. And one of the smaller things that I specialize in, but that a lot of people uh, are interested in, is helping former cult members, people who are trying to recover from having been involved in a cult or a high demand group. There's lots of words to use to categorize the experience, but it's it started out as what I wrote my doctoral dissertation on. And then for many years, for at this point, the majority of my career, I worked at programs and facilities. So I never really had a chance to kind of market myself to that population or put myself out there for those people specifically. But once I started my practice a little over three years ago, I was like, oh, this is finally something I can like put on my website and, you know, talk to people about. And ever since then, you know, I'm, I'm definitely have worked with former cult members am working with former cult members. And it's something that a lot of folks out there are very interested in. You know, it seems like if you look at it over the years, public interest in cults kind of waxes and wanes. And I think right now it's it's in a period of, of high interest. There's a lot of groups that are in the news and on TV right now. Um, so I think that kind of corresponds to people being interested in, and wanting to talk to me about it and wanting to talk to other people who have, a, you know, a good amount of knowledge in, in the field of cults about, you know, all the different aspects of the topic. Yes. And there have even been some documentaries that have been out recently. So people who maybe are just like looking for something new to watch on their favorite streaming service are finding, oh, this looks interesting. And then learning about something that they really had no idea about before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we kind of talked a lot in our first interview about what cults are and kind of um, some of the well-known cults that are out there. But I wanted to start off this time by asking you, how do cults get people to join? Because I think that's something that's such a mystery to, to many of us to understand, like, how do they, how do they draw people to them? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a variety of ways in which cults draw people in think it's important, you and I were kind of chatting about it before we started recording to, to understand that, you know, people, if, if cults, <laughs> you know, if cults advertise themselves as like, hey, come to our group and get abused and exploited, like nobody would join, obviously. <laughs> join our cult. It's right, wonderful. Exactly. You want to be here. You'll have fun. Right. Nobody would join. So they definitely, and since cults are a thing, they definitely must employ some tactics to draw people in and make them think they're a good idea, right? So there's there's several different ways I can I can talk about that cults bring people in. You know, one way is that cults often, I don't know if market themselves is quite the right phrase, but market themselves to people who are in crisis or people who are in kind of uh, important transitions in their lives. You know, there's oftentimes a lot of cult presence on college campuses. 
because college students are a particularly vulnerable population. They're not living at home for the first time. They're kind of figuring out who they are as a young adult. Um, and so groups that offer kind of community or answers can seem particularly appealing. And then there are also groups. Is it okay if I mentioned, sir? I can't remember if I did. Sure. Yeah, okay. you did. <laughs> okay. So particularly like a group like Scientology, they are pretty well known for um, having what they call their volunteer ministers go to the sites of disasters. Like right now they are providing kind of pseudo first aid and some light Scientology tactics to the people who are suffering from the wildfires in Northern California that are happening right now. Goodness. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, on the one hand, it's like, well, it's nice that you're trying to help. But on the other hand, they're also there to promote Scientology to people who are in an incredibly vulnerable place who may have just lost their entire home, if not, you know, people in their lives. Yes. So that's another way they get people to join. And then a, a, a third way is that oftentimes cults will, how do I say this? So sometimes cults will have essentially what are front groups like they will have um like let's say that there's a cult that um is is relatively large um and they uh, and again scientology is pretty well known for this but they're certainly not the only group that does this but let's say that they start to create these like charity groups that on the surface don't have any direct connection to the main group you know so It'll be like, oh, you know, this is a, a group that a, a nonprofit that goes out to, to help homeless people. And, you know, people who are interested in helping the homeless might get involved uh, without realizing that this is actually an extension of this cult group. And then there will usually be at least some sort of attempt to kind of, you know, bring them in to the group through this front group. So... Yeah, that those are some of the ways that people get drawn in, people in transition, people in crisis, and then people who legitimately don't know that something they've become involved with is related to this other group. Yeah, I'm I'm very disturbed by you saying that cult groups sometimes misrepresent their intentions when people are in desperate need of help like after the wildfires. I mean, it's mm -hmm. very disturbing to me as a mental health professional that I would <laughs> call me naive, but I would want to believe that when there's a, a shooting or a mm -hmm. natural disaster and people are in crisis, that the people who go to help them just want to help them. And that's really upsetting to realize that some people deliberately and some groups deliberately prey on people in those situations to when they're very vulnerable to not being able to necessarily make clear decisions about, does this sound logical to me? Or does this seem fishy, you know, because they're in such a desperate situation. That's really, yeah, really horrifying. Yeah. The Scientology volunteer ministers were there uh, helping firefighters right after 9-11, you know, and I got to mention something about that. Yeah, because there's this thing where there's something that the Scientologists like put together to supposedly help the firefighters after 9-11, some kind of like treatment that's supposed to help them 
with the, um, what do they call it? 9-11 syndrome. Yeah. And while they're receiving this treatment, there's like videos being played Mm -hmm. that are the Scientology teachings. I've heard about this firsthand and it's in legitimate like business settings, medical provider settings where it should be Mm -hmm. safe. And that's the front company, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Scientology. And I know that this is a little bit of a digression, but one of their, it's not so much of a front group because it's pretty related, but Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard came up with this and I'm blanking on the name now, of course, but it's this kind of technology for how to run your business. Uh, Um, And Dianetics? No, it's not Dianetics. It's, I'll try to look it up, but it's, it's, oh, it's called, it's called WISE. Um, but I don't remember what it stands for at the moment, but I, I can look it up. But essentially, it's like how to run a good business. And they they snag a lot of chiropractors with this and oh a lot goodness. of dentists that kind of implement it in their office. And of course, it, it just turns into a funnel for actually going into Scientology. Gosh, that's that really bothers me. <laughs> Because I mean, it's, it's not like I wasn't already concerned about cults, but it's more, I think the fact of misrepresenting themselves to people who are seeking out like healthcare or crisis, mental health crisis care really disturbs me. I don't know why that gets under my skin so much, I guess, because I'm a mental health provider and I want people to be able to trust that the people they go to for help are going to help them. Yeah. Ethically. Yeah, I actually, I, I just met with somebody a few months ago who um, had been working at a chiropractor's office and had to leave because they kind of got infiltrated by this and it turned into all of these extra things they were doing for no pay. And then there was all this pressure to go do some Scientology courses. And it luckily, this person was in a position to just be like, I'm done. Um, I've heard but, the same thing about physical therapist practices. Uh, it's certainly possible. Wow. Yeah. And again, I guess that it's not too much of a digression because that's another way they pull people in. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's always from the outside. It's like, how could anybody join that? Why would they do that? But when you realize how vulnerable of a situation, a firefighter from who was in 9-11 went through something so horrible and they just want to take care of their own needs and and then to be like misled. And then especially when what I saw is that it kind of was like it got into the like system of the the firefighters. It wasn't just like one person said, oh, I'll try this. It was like maybe the union or something was saying, hey, everybody's doing this. It's really helping. They didn't know. Right. What was rarely, really they, happening. Yeah, they, they rarely do. Yeah. Oh, man. So I guess my next question was, who's likely to join a cult? And and I'm in a way, it's like what I'm hearing is it could be anyone in a vulnerable situation who is sort of tricked into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say, you know, I and I may have said this last time, so I won't talk about it at length, but you know, oftentimes people have this kind of stereotype of of somebody who would join a cult as somebody who is weak-minded or weak-willed or a follower. And when the reality of the situation is that anybody is is vulnerable to joining a cult given the right circumstances, um, is no 
personality more likely to get involved in a cult. Honestly, it's the people who are the most vulnerable are people who are in crisis, in transition, um, and are looking for answers, looking for community, you know, people who are kind of on a, a spiritual, a path of spiritual seeking, you know, are, are, you know, susceptible to joining uh, a more spiritual or religious group. But yeah, it's, it's generally people who are in some sort of crisis or transition because people are vulnerable at those points in time, you know, whether it's transition could mean college age, it could mean I just lost a job, it could mean I just got married or divorced, you know, uh, I, it could mean I just experienced the death of a loved one or a parent, any of those. Uh, Becoming be, a parent. Becoming a parent, yep. Moving across the country or to a different country, any of those counts as a transition. And then, you know, people in crisis could be, uh, again, you know, just experiencing a death or a trauma, you know, like the wildfires or 9-11 or, or things like that. You know, the people who are or somebody who is, you know, experiencing a mental health issue for the first time, uh, you know, people who are looking for stability, who are looking for answers, and who are looking for people who are acting like they want to help them. You know, it, it's kind of a, well, we can get into it later. But yeah, those are generally the people who are the most susceptible. But again, technically, anybody is. Yeah, it just makes me wonder, you know, there, there are things where you do get a sense of community, you know, and it's like, I mean, I know we did talk about this in the first episode, but it's like, how can someone tell that it's not if something like you have a church that you love and you feel like you have so many friends there and everything's really wonderful and you really like the, the pastor or whatever, you know, like where, <laughs> where's the line? Right. Well, you know, the line, uh, and I, you know, to, to kind of echo what we discussed um, last time, the line is, is it's kind of a series of lines. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, you know, are you allowed to have a life outside of this group? Is that okay and or encouraged? Um, are you allowed to ever question the group or, you know, be frustrated with aspects of it that you maybe disagree with? Um, are you allowed to question the leaders or are they held up as, you know, these infallible beings? Are you allowed to have friends and family that are not a part of this group? Are you feeling like you are only allowed to ever spend time with this group or doing things that the group says are okay? All of those things, you know, if if the answer to, to most of those questions is yes, I can do all of those things, then you're good. You know, you're you're in a healthy, functioning group, um, whether it's a religion or a, a you know a social group that you belong to in any way. Those are all things that you should be able to do. If, if the, the answers to a lot of those are no, then there might be a problem. That makes it so much more clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what it's like for people in cults? What, what do people get out of it? And then what drawbacks are there? Sure, sure. So, you know, again, as we were kind of briefly talking about earlier, you know, if, if, people were given the reality of the group 
head on before joining. Most people wouldn't join, right? Because people aren't stupid. Right. <laughs> come, come and be exploited and cut off from all your family and friends and work for us for free and never get to do anything else. Doesn't that sound great? And we'll keep all your money. Right, exactly. And we'll just take all your money. Yeah, most people would not do that because people are smart. So usually in the beginning stages of, of cult involvement, people people are drawn in, number one, by the sense of community. Like here's this tight knit, you know, group of people that are really seem to like each other and know each other and support each other. Having this group of people that seem to be tight knit and supportive of each other. Yesterday, I was in session with a client who's a, a second generation former member, which means that um, they were born and raised in a group as opposed to joining as an adult. And they were saying to me that as, as much as they have no desire to go back to this group, they do kind of envy, look back enviously at a time when they felt they had answers, right, to everything. And now that they can see the truth of the world, which is that a lot of things don't have answers, that's tough, you know? So people, people like the sense that there's like, oh, there's this system or there's this belief system where we can answer almost every question with it. You know, that sense of certainty is very attractive. So there's that. Oh, and then kind of a, an older term uh, in the field of cultic studies, but one that is still largely true, is that oftentimes when somebody joins a group, they'll, they'll experience what's called love bombing. Mm. Um, which is, you know, when a new person joins, it's like, oh my God, the whole world revolves around this person now. You're so awesome. We love you. You know, and it's this period of like getting all this attention and all this positive attention. Um, and, and this group of people seem to immediately like you and appreciate you and want you to know all about it. That feels good. <laughs> you know, um, that feels really good. So that's the kind of stuff that keeps people in, in the beginning or that draws yeah. them and keeps them in. The and love then, bombing thing I'm sure is like, you know, how could you not enjoy like, wow, oh, everyone yeah. is so nice. I feel yeah. so important <laughs> here, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, if, if you're in a healthy group, it's normal for people to be, be happy that you joined and to want to get to know you. But when you join kind of an unhealthy group, it, it's on the excessive side and it's definitely with different motivations. Like in a healthy group, they just legitimately want to get to know you and uh, see if uh, you can be friends. In an unhealthy group, it's this is what we do to new people to get them to stay. So it's, it's not because we actually really love them or want to get to know them. It's because we're trying to get them to stay. Yeah. And then <clears throat> once people have been involved for a while, what, what keeps them in, um, having a sense of community, having a sense of, you know, answers to everything. And a lot of cults often cultivate this kind of us versus the world mentality. And this, we have, we're the one true path. We have all the answers and the rest of the world is kind of stupid and don't have these answers. Um, so that can create this kind of us versus them dynamic that, that can keep people in like, oh, I don't want to go back to being a part of the riffraff of the rest of the world. Um, I want to continue to be a part of this elite organization that, that, you know, is the one true way. Yeah. And then oftentimes there's a combination of, you know, this, the, what's called the sunken time fallacy, um, which I'll explain in a second. And also uh, there can be a lot of cognitive dissonance that keeps people from taking action. 
Um, the sunken time fallacy is something that actually most people can relate to and in, in a, not in the way of belonging to a cult, but in other ways in their life, which is, it's this logical fallacy, which is that, you know, the more time or energy you spend on something, even if you're not getting the results that you want, you've already spent so much time and energy that you might as well continue to spend time and energy. Otherwise, if you quit now, it's all wasted. When the reality of the situation is if you're not getting what you want, it's better to cut your losses now than to continue to sink more time and energy into it. And so <clears throat> when people consider leaving, they often say to themselves, but I've spent so much time, I've spent so much money, I've spent so much energy, I've given so much up that it will all be wasted somehow if I leave. And that is often a, a very powerful deterrent for people to, to go anywhere. I see that a lot with people who are in unhappy relationships or yep. people who are unhappy in their jobs, but they think mm -hmm. that they've already been there so long, they don't want to leave. Right. Exactly. Very, very similar situation. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Um, that, that can keep people in for years. You know, like if I just, if I just try harder, I'll get these results. And then all of this time will have, you know, been, you, you know, useful as opposed to a waste. Yeah. And then what was the other fallacy? Oh, it, it's not a fallacy. It's just cognitive dissonance. Oh, yes. Um, you know, people not, you know, cognitive dissonance is kind of just for, I'm assuming since this is the therapy chat podcast, people know, but just in case. Yeah, I think it's good to explain it. <laughs> yeah. Cognitive dissonance is kind of the, the mental pain or discomfort that comes from holding contradictory beliefs or contradictory behaviors. So oftentimes people will, uh, and it can result in people just kind of not taking any action at all. And so for people who maybe have spent a lot of time and energy and haven't gotten the results that they wanted, it's very painful for them to think about the fact that like, oh, I might've, I might've spent all this money for nothing. I might've spent all this time for nothing. Um, in order to not think about that or not experience the pain caused by thinking about that, I'm just going to chug forward with my membership in this group. Yeah. So that, that can also be a powerful thing that keeps people in. Yeah. It's like they, it's like when people have doubts or they have red flags, but they say, mm -hmm. nah, you know, if yeah. that's true, then that's too complicated. And I, I don't, right. I don't know what to do with that. So I'm just going to put that away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it starts off 
feeling really great for most mm-hmm. people. And then what what is it like? What are the drawbacks of being in cults for people? Okay, so the drawbacks are plentiful. And again, you know, cults are pretty good at drawing people in and making everything seem hunky-dory at first, right? Because that's how you get people and that's how you keep them for a little bit. What people typically tend to experience when they've been involved with a cult for a little while, one of the biggest things is control. And control can take a lot of different forms. It can, it's often control of your time slash environment. And what that looks like is gradually over time, you are strongly encouraged uh, to the point where it feels kind of like a lot of coercive pressure um, to spend all of your time either with the group, like if they've got like a physical location, um, you're encouraged, uh, you know, slash coerced to spend all of your time there, or if, if not there, at least spending all of your time on things having to do with the group, right? So studying the materials or engaging with other members to the point where it starts to infringe on the rest of your life, whether that's your family life, work life, school life, whatever, Um, you know, through the control of your, your time and your environment, these things are kind of gradually starting to what used to be your life gets to start to gradually be shrunk smaller and smaller and smaller um, because you just don't have time for it anymore because of all this stuff that has to do with the group. You know, many groups will take financial advantage of members and that can look like a couple different things. It can look like having to pay for materials and services and courses that just, you know, pile on and on and on and on. And, you know, unless you're super wealthy, which some groups do prey on the super wealthy, you know, you start to run out of money. (laughs) Right. Because you're Um, not able to earn as much if you're focusing all your time on the cult. Exactly. Um, And then there's a lot of pressure to borrow money. There's a lot of pressure for loans, anything that gets you to continue spending money. Or another way that, that groups can take financial advantage of members is by having them work for the group for little to no pay. Mm. Um, And it's like, okay, well, if you, if you legitimately don't have any money available to you, why don't you start working for the mission or this person or whatever? And, you know, either you'll, you'll work in exchange for services or you'll work and we'll pay you, you know, uh, a pittance um, for essentially working like full time. And, Again, in groups like Scientology, some people who are on staff for Scientology quit their jobs, work full time for them. And any group like Scientology that has government or religious exemption, they are not beholden to any state or federal labor laws. Oh, um, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I knew they didn't have to pay taxes. Yeah, they don't have to pay taxes, but they also don't have to pay minimum wage. Ooh. They don't have to give people the same kinds of breaks. So, you know, staff members in Scientology, especially the Sea Org, which is kind of this special area of staff, but they can get paid like literally $2 an hour Wow! for the work that they're doing. Yeah, it's and there's no recourse because it's a religious group and they can do whatever they want. So that's two kind of ways. It's either like you can give us all this money for products and services 
or, or donations, or you can give us all of your time for little or no financial compensation for work that you're doing. So people experience control. People experience financially, financial draining. Um, people experience isolation because that sense of community often turns into, well, we should be your only community, right? Since we are, since we are the one way that, that everything works and we're the one true path, you know, you really shouldn't be spending time with people who aren't a member of this group. They're kind of the riffraff of the world. They don't, they don't know the truth like we do. And, you know, different groups take this to different levels of severity, but, you know, oftentimes people are encouraged to completely cut ties with friends and family members that are either not supportive of the group or even are just neutral to it. Because, you know, these groups know that if you have a critical person in your life, you're more likely to think critically about your involvement in the group. So control, financial exploitation, isolation, a lot of groups, especially groups that are religious or, or self-helpy in nature, will employ kind of, quote unquote, counseling techniques or, you know, ways in which they're trying to help people attain a greater state of enlightenment that in reality um, can be quite manipulative, coercive, you know, not not make people feel real good, you know, employing very manipulative tactics to get people to, you know, confess their wrongdoings. And it's it's kind of a form of emotional abuse, quite frankly. Yeah. So there's that. And then the the last thing that, you know, if things get bad enough, and or if you get close enough to the inner circle of a group, there can often be outright abuse. There can be verbal abuse, physical abuse, and even sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, um, kind of usually kept pretty hush-hush. And it's usually, you know, if these things are happening to you, it's because you're doing something wrong and you're just being punished for it. Um, but people can be legitimately traumatized by the types of abuse they experience uh, in a group. You know, the the other one that's really big in the news right now is Nexium. Yeah, that's the one in New York, right? That's correct. And, you know, I I would imagine that people who, you know, took one or two of their courses or maybe even took, you know, a, a decent number of their courses and uh, benefited from the content somehow had no idea that there was this, you know, inner circle at the very top levels that involved, you know, coercive sexual encounters with the leader. Yeah. And, but, you know, the, the people who were a part of that, there's no difference between what happened to those women and what happened to any other woman when she is coerced into sex or, or outright, outright raped. Yes. You know, these women were branded without their consent. They, you know, were coerced into sexual. And, and I mean, that's that's trauma. Right. That's, that's sexual abuse. And yeah. no, you know, being a part of some community where you can't give consent mm -hmm. because you're really not free to leave. You're not voluntarily participating anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's just as abusive as any sexual assault or rape that happens in any other environment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But I believe that it may be more unclear to the people who are being victimized. Like, did I participate in this? You know, 
did I, they, they may feel that they, that it was not non-consensual, right. even though they know, like they're, they feel traumatized, but they don't necessarily recognize it as being a sexually abusive experience, even though they know it was traumatizing for them. Correct. Correct. Um, and it, it usually takes a good amount of time for people to kind of come out of that experience and get some perspective and then look back and go, Oh my God. Yeah. That, that is what that was. Yeah. There's another sexually abusive thing that I've recently heard about, which seems to follow the same pattern that you're talking about, which this organization, I guess, or the group is called orgasmic meditation. Ah, yes. One taste. Yeah. Yes. And it's supposed to be like a, sex positive group, but then supposedly at the upper levels, there was, well, maybe not even upper levels, but there was Mm non-consensual sexual victimization happening to some of the people who worked for them. It's, I had heard about that and I had heard about it as a sex positive thing. And, you know, for people who wanted to learn more about their sexuality, Mm -hmm. that it was supposed to be like an okay thing. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, I don't remember who said this, it's a famous quote from history, but you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. It's, Mm. you know, when you put people and the higher levels of these group on this tier, that's like, they're like superhumans or something who can do no wrong, you know, like the leader of, of Nexium, Keith Renier, you know, it's like he can get away with just about anything. Wow. You know, and thank God he's not going to be able to do that anymore. Yeah. And supposedly it sounds like there was someone who was an extremely wealthy person, if not only one, who he may have manipulated into supporting what he was doing financially. Yeah. The Bronfman sisters, uh, the heirs to the the Seacom fortune. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. You know, when I when I mentioned there are some cults that prey on the super wealthy, I was thinking of him, and I was also thinking of Scientology that they they bring in these people who are multimillionaires, if not billionaires, and just suck them dry. Wow. Yeah. So, when someone leaves a cult, which I know is very hard to do, but once they're able to leave and they don't want to be a part of that anymore, what are some of the effects that you see? I mean, we've already talked about trauma. And so certainly being traumatized is an effect, but um, what do you, what do you notice as common patterns for people who've been through that? Let's see, common patterns, you know, uh, there's a few different common patterns and sometimes it depends on if somebody joined as an adult versus a second generation member, yeah, you know, they can oftentimes face kind of different issues, but, but issues that are kind of similar throughout, oftentimes there is, you know, serious issues with self-esteem um, because people feel, people often go through a period of just feeling so badly about themselves because they feel like, how could I have made such a huge mistake? Um, how could I have been fooled for so long? Or how could I have kept myself in the dark for so long? Um, And they'll often, you know, need to do a lot of work around, you know, having compassion for the the version of themselves that joined the group, and and just having compassion for themselves now as a person who is trying to recover from involvement, and also, you know, uh, deal with 
you know, self-forgiveness and moving forward with more critical thinking skills. So self-esteem and self-worth usually take a really big hit. And sometimes that can go as far as to lead to, you know, depression. Oftentimes people feel very, very isolated because they've cut off at, at the behest of the group. They've cut off contact with people to repair those relationships. Um, or if they're not repairable, they have to try to create uh, a new family of choice or a new community for themselves, a healthy community for themselves. So there's, you know, a big hit to self-worth. There's isolation. As we discussed, if they were physically, verbally, sexually abused, there's all the trauma work that comes along with that. And then there's also kind of this need to learn how to trust themselves again and how to trust other people again. Because, you know, this is a being brought into a cult can be seen as a huge violation of trust. You know, you trusted this organization to have your best interests at heart and they did not. Makes you question your ability to make good decisions in that regard, who to trust. Yeah, Um, yeah. If anyone is trustworthy after that point. And then I'm trying to think about any other common problems. You know, oftentimes people will have difficulty making decisions without, you know, the system that the cult had or getting the approval of someone, you know, people become very dependent on the system um, for just how to live their daily life. And once it's not there, people can oftentimes not really know or not really want to make any big decisions because they don't trust themselves because they were taught for years not to and that they just had to, you know, do what, what they were told by their superiors or do what the you know materials tell you to do and once they don't have those they're kind of lost yeah wow it sounds like i mean you have the effects of the trauma itself you know Mm -hmm. which can be of course like any trauma like you have yeah Mm -hmm. fight or flight and freeze submit Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have the really kind of effects to your identity it seems like yeah, definitely. Who am I and who what do mm-hmm. what do I believe and who do I trust mm-hmm. and how do I know and can I even trust my own thoughts, my own instincts and intuition? Yep. You know, and a lot of those things overlap with common reactions of people who've experienced trauma, especially relational abuse, you know, childhood abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, sexual mm-hmm. abuse, sexual assault as an adult or rape. Mm-hmm. And and yet it seems like it would be such a profound, like, because it was something that was such a, someone was so immersed in, like mm-hmm. being in a family that's very abusive, you know? Yeah. That it seems like it would be a lot of deep work that would be needed to mm-hmm. recover. Of course, I know that healing is always possible, so I'm not hopeless about it by any means, but... Um, it's, it's really significant. It sounds how that healing process would go. You know, you're making me just realize that in a deeper way as we're talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any resources that you would recommend for people who've been in cults in the past and want to heal from that experience? And I know you're available to provide therapy in Mm -hmm. California. Yep. Um, I am available in California because obviously I'm in LA, so I see people that are in Los Angeles, but 
Um, I also do video sessions. So anybody anywhere in California is, is an option. Other things that I would recommend, you know, the International Cultic Studies Association or ICSA does really great work. Not just, I mean, they are a hub for kind of professionals and academics uh, in, in the field of cultic studies, but they also do a lot of their work on providing resources for former members, resources taking the form of support groups, conferences specifically for, for former members and events, and also groups and, and events for the loved ones of members of, of cults. Um, so I would suggest Googling the International Cultic Studies Association if you're into that. That sounds like a great resource, and I'll be sure to put that in the, the show notes. Yeah, please do. And there are, you know, I've if people are interested in, in hearing more, um, I have been on a few other podcasts um, talking about it from a few different angles. Um, they can listen to those. And then there are some really good books out there um, for people who are trying to rebuild their, their lives after cult involvement. Um, if you just give me a second. Yeah. And I'll put all these resources and your webpage in the, in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. I really, there's a couple of books by these two authors, Yanya Lalik and Madeline Tobias. And they've written, they've written several books, but they, they have a couple that are specifically for former members. One is called Take Back Your Life, Recovering from Cults and Abusive Relationships. And the other one is called Captive Hearts, Captive Minds, Freedom and Recovery from Cults and Other Abusive Relationships. Those are both excellent books um, that you can find on Amazon uh, very easily if you're interested. And then I always suggest to people like the internet, you know, obviously the internet can be used for ill, um, but the internet is wonderful in that it has allowed former members kind of to create little communities for themselves. Mm. So for groups of pretty much any size, I would recommend, you know, that people just Google like former Scientologist or former Jehovah's witness, you know, former trying to think here, former, you know, a quiverful. I don't, we're not going to get into what that is. It's, it's what the, <laughs> The, the Duggars did, but you know, it's like, and you can find websites where people have created these communities specifically for former members of these groups to talk, to share their experiences with each other. And, and I, I can't recommend enough trying to get in touch with one of those groups to, to kind of rebuild that sense of community. That's wonderful to know. And I think one of the things that is clear to me through this conversation and our first interview is that secrecy, just like in an abusive family, secrecy is what allows the abusive situation yep. to thrive and getting it out in the open, just talking about it, even though people can feel very afraid of consequences mm -hmm. by talking about it. But that's how you shine the light on, you know, what's happening. And, you know, that brings safety, healing, you know, uh, it prevents that abusive person from being able to hide. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a beautiful thing that the internet has been used for is it's a place for people to break the secrets and to openly talk about what was happening to them um, and to form a community around the truth of the group as opposed to the kind of perpetuated facade of the group. 
yeah, basically expose what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Natalie, this has been so interesting and so informative. Thank you very, very, very much for coming back onto Therapy Chat today. You are welcome. Again, thank you for, for having me for part two. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Dr. Natalie Feinblatt regarding working with former cult members. I'm grateful to Natalie for being my guest today, and I'm grateful to you for listening to Therapy Chat. As always, I appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.